Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. morning. It's Carmen LaBerge listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is hour two. If you missed hour one, well, I think it's worth going back and listening to. So you can do that on the Faith Radio app. You can do it at MyFaithRadio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. So there you go. Okay, a few headlines. What we do here on Mornings with Carmen, if you're just joining us for the very first time, we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on all that is going on in the world, what's going on at homes and in our hearts and, and what's going on in the headline news of the day. So Let's jump in on a few headlines this morning so that you are prepared for the day which now lies ahead. The Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, has a, quote, green light to enter Gaza to um, uh, eradicate, is the word being used, the Islamic terrorist known as Hamas. Uh, the, the number of dead Israelis is now over 1,400. There are also thousands of um, people who were living in Gaza among the dead now as well. There are some 203, at last count, hostages being held in Gaza by Hamas terrorists after the events of October the 7th. There are also a couple of hundred Israelis still missing and unaccounted for, um, even as the confirmed death toll continues to rise. So, um, there, there is a war not only um, now ongoing between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, but the opening front of the war with Hezbollah to the north. And so the United States has issued a number of warnings to Americans. Uh, we talked about the, you know, don't travel to Russia warning in relationship to the the, the taking of American citizens uh, is for hostage diplomacy there. But we also have this warning um, from the U.S. State Department warning Americans um, to leave some countries. So there was a do not travel warning issued for Lebanon earlier this week. And now um, the U.S. government is warning Americans to leave Lebanon as soon as possible. Lebanon being one of the countries uh, immediately to the north of Israel and where that second front in this war appears to be opening up. We certainly do not want to see a, a widening war in the Middle East. Um, and so the United States has uh, carrier groups, battle battle groups in the Mediterranean. Uh, and I mean, we're there, we're present. We have Marines um, on the ground as well. And so this is one of those times when, um, you know, we, we certainly mourn the violence. We're praying for peace. We uh, want to be thinking about and concerned for not only Christians who are caught in the crossfire and trapped in the midst of it. We talked with a pastor from Gaza yesterday who now lives in Connecticut, but um, you know, we talked about the 900 Christians who are hiding in Gaza in two, two church facilities. And so 
Um, you know, there there are brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of all of this. There is also the call of Christ to be proclaiming the gospel to people who do not yet believe in him. And that would be everyone uh, on both sides of this conflict, the Jews and um, and these Islamist Muslims. And so there, there are worldview conversations to be had. There are prayers to be prayed. Um, there is justice to be sought. And there is a supernatural peace <laughs> that we must um, be seeking from God. Right. So I do want to say this. It's not always going to be this way. Like, I feel like every once in a while, we just need to remind ourselves it's not always going to be this way. Let's use Isaiah 65 and the image um, offered here about what what the reality is going to be like when the kingdom of our God is fully instituted here upon the earth. So this is from Isaiah 65. Again, an affirmation that the things we're experiencing today on this day are not going to be the reality of that day. That day is coming. We live this day in light of that day. We live this day with the hope of that day. We live this day praying um, that day would come. So here's a, a bit of the image of what it's going to be like when it's not like this anymore from Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion is going to eat straw like the ox, the dust will be the serpent's food and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain says the lord yeah the part of the world in view uh, in the news today is the part is the part of the world that would have been the world that isaiah inhabited and so let's just be mindful that eventually when the fullness of time comes to be and this kind of time is no more. They will neither harm nor destroy on all God's holy mountain. All right. Um, here's one headline <clears throat> that people might not be talking about today, but you might be able to bring up because it's curious and um, reasonable. Little common sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna regard this as a win for common sense. I don't know when the last time you tried to board an airplane was, but it's chaos out there. People are traveling with way too much stuff. They don't want to pay to check their bags. I don't think they trust the whole baggage system. And so, you know, they're trying to carry all they can. And so, you know, you're limited to one carry-on bag, which is supposed to fit easily in the overhead bin, but never does. People are like cramming giant things in there. And then you're supposed to have one small personal item that goes under the seat, which is is never a small personal item. It's like, you know, it's just almost the size that was supposed to go in the overhead bin. Anyway, they're they're carrying that um and and other things as well. Um and I mean there's now even like vests that you can get to sort of game the system because it's they got all kinds of pockets in the vest and so you can fill all the pockets of the vest and then that doesn't carry count as a carry-on. But then you don't fit in the seat. Like it's just a problem. And then there's the whole boarding time. I know again, I don't know when you've tried to last board a plane, but the boarding process has become really quite crazy. So United Airlines finally taking the counsel of researchers who have said there's a better way to do this. Uh, United Airlines has announced that it is going to begin using the Wilma, Wilma, like Fred and Wilma from the Flintstones, I guess. It probably stands for something, but I'm just using, it says it right here on my page, the Wilma boarding process. So the Wilma boarding process is window seats first, window seats first, and then middle seats and then aisle seats. Oh, that's probably Wilma. W-L-A, window, hmm, middle, 
Oh, M-A, W-M-A, Window Middle Aisle. I bet that's what Wilma stands for. Um, all right, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Paul Perot, for that. I was so hoping I would get a Wilma shout out. I just love it. Thank you. All right, so um, I have no idea how this is going to affect all of you who have all those fancy pre-boarding, premium cabin, frequent flyer, families with small children. I don't know how it affects you. All I know is this, that the Wilma boarding method is now in play for United Airlines, and we want to know how it goes. So, you know, if you're out there and you're traveling, let us know. Our friend Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family is going to join us next. We are going to um, touch on some media headlines. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Happy Friday, Adam. Happy Friday, Carmen. How are you today? I'm, I, I am well. I am well. I mean, you know, I've tripped over a few things during the show this morning, but it's only friends listening, so it's okay. Well, I hope that you're okay. <laughs> yeah, it's trip and fall, but it's, it's okay. I've bounced back. Uh, okay, so Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, well, so the other day, I was like somebody saying I need a I, I need I need a way to get my twenties and thirties something these women in her Bible study I need some way to get them interested in what's happening halfway around the world and I'm like oh well here's a headline hook for you you can tell them that Taylor Swift's bodyguard um, <laughs> is, is now you know reporting for duty so leaving a half a million dollar job guarding Taylor Swift and now on the front lines in the war with Hamas. So there you go. That was my way of helping people connect what is happening halfway around the world with apparently what they're more concerned about, which is Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift is uh, right at the top of the headlines outside of the Israeli war stories. Uh, and it, in some ways, even though I'm not trying to make a joke here, it, it really it really illustrates what happens when we get on our phones, right? We mm. get a news, it gets a, we get a news feed you know, and that's obviously shaped by what you have looked at. We all know that the algorithm, this all knowing robot out there somewhere is sending us what it thinks we're most interested in, but it's typically a blend of world events, our personal interests, entertainment, technology. I mean, it's, it's all over the map. And so we can be getting, a story about Israel one second and a story about Taylor Swift the next. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I think that those news feeds, it would be interesting to have a conversation about the philosophy and the theology of news feeds. Right. Uh, because it all jumbles together and how much time do we really have? How intentional are we about sorting through all of those things? Um, and I don't know about you, but my personal approach is I'll open things, then I'll open a new window. I'm like, oh, I want to read that later. And so at any given time on my phone, I might have 150 things open that I've read two sentences of. And six months later, I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to read that. Um, you know, so there's, there's so many angles here. Um, but I was thinking about Taylor Swift this morning. Can I riff on Taylor Swift for just a second? Sure. So obviously the movie has done enormous business. The tour has done enormous business. Uh, I went to the tour with my daughters, full disclosure. Uh, so I, you know, uh, you can lob your judgments at me and I will receive them. Um, I was thinking about the gospel according to Taylor Swift. Now, mm -hmm. Taylor Swift doesn't get up in the morning and say, what am I going to deliver as a gospel message today? Um, but I think that what we see in her, and I think that part of her appeal 
is three things. Um, I think that she longs to be filled, whether she realizes it or not, she is searching for fulfillment. And that story sort of ricochets back and forth between the earnest wide-eyed romance and the fact that it hasn't really worked out super well for her, although things seem to be going well with Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, And then those stories sort of veer off into degrees of cynicism, anger, uh, you know, profanity, some sexual stuff. But that's the trajectory. It bounces back and forth. And I think that she is longing, whether she realizes it or not, and if I'm being presumptuous, you can call me out on it, she's longing for God and she's looking Mm -hmm. for it in romance. And her career is a very well-articulated journey in that direction. Um, And so when we think about, why do my kids love this music so much? I think that she actually does a fairly amazing job of articulating how messy that journey is. I'm not giving her a pass or saying you should listen to her. There's a lot of stuff to deal with there, which I have been doing with my daughters. Um, But I think that's what's going on. And in the midst of that, there's a longing for something transcendent. And so when 75,000 Taylor Swift fans get together, it is a little T transcendent experience. It's not the God transcendent story, but it's a facsimile. We want to connect with a story bigger than our own. And Taylor is giving people a story and they're desperate to be filled too. And they're connecting with it as well. I think that we could probably write a gospel according to for every public figure out there. For everybody, right? right? And actually that that's a fairly interesting exercise. Like what does my, the things that I write, the things that I say, the things that I do, um, that other people see, like yeah. what, what is the theology that is being communicated there? That's a actually yeah. really, really good exercise. And then I think that in terms of conversations with people who are Taylor Swift fans, asking the question, you know, if, if what if what she's singing about and if what she's doing in life and the way she's living her life or communicating something about what she believes about God, what do you think she believes about God based on all this yeah. evidence? That's a that's a, that's like a an interest like an interesting archaeological experiment to do. Yes, yeah, yeah and it's good. You know, I, I, if I can say one other thing here, I'm going to riff off your archaeology comment. Um, I really think of what we do at Plugged In. Um, as a kind of theological uh, anthropology. We're Mm -hmm. sifting through what we see and we're doing that from an explicitly Christian perspective, but we're examining, we're looking, we're trying to have a clear sense of what's happening so that we can help other people have a clear sense too and and they can think about what that means for their choices. That's good. Um, On the choice front, just so that you know, we started the show today um, talking about a guy at Stanford named um, Robert Sapolsky, so- yeah. who thinks we don't have any free will. So yep. I'm just letting you know Saw that, that article coming. that that's coming. Yep, <laughs> that'll be an opportunity to for you to um, <clears throat> for you to riff on. All right, we're going to take a very very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to pivot from Taylor Swift to Britney Spears. Britney Spears mm. has um, an an autobiography of sorts, a memoir of sorts. Um, coming out and uh, portions of it have already been released in which she discloses some very personal information um, that um, that is not only cause for, I think, personal 
concern, but should provoke conversations with young women uh, in, in the culture today. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. All right, our friend Adam Holtz is here from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're going to deal with another sensitive cultural topic, and that is the subject of abortion. It is raised in Brittany Spears' um, memoir, reflective novel. I'm not exactly sure what we're calling what she has uh, what she has written, um, but it is um, a very personal story about um, an abortion that she had during her relationship with Justin Timberlake, and she really places. Um, the the choice the the blame on him. It's a, a interesting, yeah. uh, interesting pro choice oh. argument to uh, to to basically blame the other person. Yeah, it's a really I think fascinating and tragic thing. And you think about where Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake were at. They both were Musketeers. Um, I haven't actually looked it up. This is very early in her career. She was very young, so. Mm-hmm late teens, early twenties. I don't know exactly when this would have been age wise, but in that neck of the woods and yeah, she has come out and basically said, I wanted to keep the baby. And Justin said, according to her, this is I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what she said. No, we're too young. We're not ready to have a baby and strongly uh, pushed her toward having an abortion. And the word that stands out in the quote that I read, she said it was, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think I'll get this part right. It was one of the most agonizing things she has ever experienced. And when we look back at Britney Spears' sort of tabloid history, because she has had moments in the public that have not been flattering, right? Where mm. she has seemed out of control. Obviously, she was under a conservatorship with her dad for many, many years, and people are still raising questions about Britney's mental health in general, even today. Um, But I think it's a fair question to say, if you are a young woman who got pregnant and you wanted to keep the baby and your boyfriend insisted that you get an abortion and you acquiesce to that, what kind of emotional and spiritual damage does that do to a woman? You know, and I'm very aware this is an incredibly sensitive topic, so I don't want to be presumptuous, but but I think it's a fair question. And I think Brittany's story, the more details that come out are not this shiny, happy, you know, fairy tale coming out of, uh, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club. It's a train wreck, right? And and it was a train wreck from the get-go, uh, which is not to absolve her of responsibility or to say she's just a victim. But 
man, the intersection of celebrity, sexuality, um, you know, the idea that abortion is an answer. Um, I, I think it just wrecked her. Uh, and, and I, I read that and I just was enormously sorrowful for her, mm-hmm. which is not mm-hmm. actually a response I have to celebrity very often. But what did you think about it, Carmen? Yeah, that was uh, my takeaway as well. I thought I th- uh, she was 20 at the time. She's 41 now. She has had two children, but she's not raising them. They live with their dad in Hawaii. Um, I do think that um, a- people imagine that abortion is no big deal. The culture tells yeah. people abortion is no big deal. Britney Spears is telling people abortion is a big deal. It wrecked yeah. my life. I think about it every day. It never, this trauma never goes away. It also occurs to me that this is an opportunity for us to recognize that it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you have access to resources or don't have access to resources. Abortion is still presented um, in our culture as the preferred option if it's just not convenient for you at the time. And just not convenient for you at the time doesn't just rob that other person of their life. It wrecks your life. And so if you're listening right now and you're feeling what we're saying because this is your story, please, please hear us say there's grace. There's God is good. Um, Nothing is unredeemable or unforgivable, but we also know that it has changed you. And there are ministries, there are women and men who know this story because they have lived it. Um, And if you want help connecting with them, just let me know. You can text us 877-933-2484. We would like nothing better than to connect you with some helpful resources on this today. Maybe you are the Justin Timberlake in this story. Maybe you forced, compelled, whatever the language is, um, a girlfriend, a daughter, a granddaughter to have an abortion. Maybe you forced your wife to have an abortion. You have an abortion story as well, and you need recovery as well. Um, This trauma is not limited to women. It's not limited to women in poverty. It's not limited racially, geographically, and it's not limited, um, you know, by faith expression. Um, And so I hope you hear us lifting this up today um, because the culture is going to be talking about this and we need to be the people who press in and say, what is your abortion story? Because everybody has one. Everybody has one. It may not be you that had an abortion, but the abortion that someone else had has affected you tremendously. And so what is your abortion story? Um, and if we can allow Britney Spears telling her abortion story to provoke the conversation, um, then there's ministry opportunity and healing is possible. Hmm. That's a great word, Carmen. I I love that. And um, I I think there's an opportunity here being opened by Brittany's willingness to tell her story. And I think it speaks to the reality that our stories matter, right? Our choices Mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love that, that you emphasize there is grace, there is forgiveness. There is that opportunity for redemption and, Sometimes we have to tell our stories to really fully experience that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, all right. Um, we, um, we have a couple of minutes for you to um, highlight and invite everybody to read the blog at PluggedIn.com um, about Facebook wooing children with chatbots. Yes. So Facebook has been losing market share for years now and is now considered the old person fuddy-duddy uh, social network, which is kind of funny when you think about the fact that it didn't exist 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, but it's already gone through that lifestyle life cycle. And so they are creating chatbots, which are these fun little robots. They're AI entities that help you navigate the content that you're looking for, but they're not just doing a one size fits all version. <clears throat> they're creating customized ones. They're creating some with uh, celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Ken Kendall Jenner, Tom Brady, uh, to make it fun. And, and basically they're sort of semi desperately looking for a way to bait the youth in with digital candy. That's my interpretation here. Um, and so I think the entire AI and chatbot conversation is one that's going to continue to evolve, but uh, Facebook is not um, sitting back and just resting on its laurels, even though they have more than a billion users. They, they really want to engage our kids, and they're thinking about how to do that, whether that strategy is effective or not. Time will tell, but, but you need to be aware that they are... Uh, they're very much involved in the next generation of this conversation. All right, Adam, um, uh, this is literally, you can say thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay. That's it. We're just, cause we're going to do three reviews and we're going to do them that fast. Thumbs up or thumbs yep. down killers of the lower moon. Uh, flower moon, uh, probably down. Okay. <laughs> the Canterville ghosts. Uh, I'm going to cheat. No I'm going to go sideways. I have no Sideways. Idea. How about the re-release of Back to the Future? Down. Big down. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> it's well, worse than you remember. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, don't just go, go watch the sunrise and the sunset and have a conversation yes. with somebody. Don't, don't go see a movie this weekend. All right. Hey, Adam, um, as always, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Carmen. So good. So good. All right. Um, wisdom, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God. The relationship of wisdom and peace. Shalom. Could you use some wisdom and some peace? Wisdom calls. Karen Ellis is going to be back to talk with us about these meditations on the life of Christ that she offers in her book, Wisdom Calls. And we're, um, I'm going to ask her to reflect on the connection between wisdom and shalom. She likes the word shalom. It's the way that she um, signs off on her emails. And so I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to ask her, can we just reflect on that? What's the connection between wisdom and shalom? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Karen Ellis is joining us again this morning. She is the, among other things, the author of Wisdom Calls, 100 Meditations on a life in Christ. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and tell people we have copies of the book to give away today. And I know that you guys <laughs> have been looking forward to this. And so I'm letting you know, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of Wisdom Calls that we have um, here in studio. 
I'd love for you to start, Karen. Um, you sign off on your emails with the word shalom. And I am wondering if there's a connection between wisdom and shalom. Yeah, you know, that. thanks for making that connection. Um, you know, we were created for a particular type of world. Um, we were created for a world that was peaceful, um, abundant. The relationships were whole. Uh, we had enough. Uh, we had plenty. Um, and uh, our shalom was shattered, of course, when our own sin and our own willfulness and our own folly and destruction uh, entered into the world by doubting God's word um, through the tempter, through the serpent. So, uh, you know, that's it always strikes me as, um, you know, realizing that the death and decay and destruction that we see around us is actually not normal. That's not what we were made for. We weren't made for this world, but God in his mercy, as it is, uh, we weren't made for this world as it is in its current condition, but God in his mercy has given us the the Holy Spirit and um, and his life to be able to live between what he's already claimed for us and what we will receive in glory, you know, between the already and the not yet, they would say, some traditions would say. And, uh, you know, he's actually moving us to something better than the shalom that we knew in the garden. He's moving us to perfection. So I, I guess when I sign off on my emails, I, um, I just want to remind myself of that, that, um, that this isn't normative, this world isn't permanent, um, it's, it's not what we were created for, but he is with us and he is strengthening us to be able to bear up under the phenomenal disappointments and destruction and devastation that we see around us. Um, one of the things that you talk about in, um, in this beautiful book, and again, the, the book, which you, you can read all the things that, that Karen is writing at Karen, Angela, ellis.com so it's ka ellis is who you're looking for karen angela ellis.com um but this beautiful book wisdom calls 100 meditations on a life in christ and um, one of the things you talk about in here is that that wisdom is a person and i think when i when i first saw that i thought oh she's going to talk about you know this old testament character who shows up as a person but then you help me see that Christ is our wisdom, the, the power of God, the wisdom of God, that wisdom is a person and it is Jesus. Mm. Amen. Yeah, you know, I think you've heard me joke before that uh, the world doesn't run on Duncan <laughs> as much as we need it to sometimes. Uh, the, 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 the world runs on God's wisdom. It is the wisdom that our creator, Christ, John, uh, John, book of John, first John tells us that, uh, that he created all of this by wisdom. He laid the earth's foundation. And so it really is the physics that undergirds, uh, that undergirds the whole universe. Hmm. Uh, it, it moves and breathes and we integrate into it. Um, in the way that he intended for us to, even in our fallen condition, even in creation's fallen condition, there's still an order that uh, wisdom brings, uh, that wisdom that, that, and applying wisdom in our lives, there's a sweetness to living the life of wisdom, even when it goes against the crookedness and brokenness of the world that was never supposed to be. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wanted to underscore the fact that when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about the whole, the, the whole fullness 
of who he is as our wisdom. And when we seek him, we seek to understand how his world works, how we best operate in it, how we can continue to make life in a world of destruction, um, to make uh, wholeness and relationships in a world that's committed to folly and uh, and death and decay. Karen, um, folly, death, and decay, like, right, we, mm -hmm. chaos, war, um, rage, uh, these are maybe the hallmarks of the headlines of this particular day and the days in which we live. Um, what does the wisdom of God have to say to to people living in a world where the wisdom of God is is not right now the the sort of winning uh, winning way of things? Mm -hmm. You know. I can tell you what it's been saying to me. Um, mm, scripture you. has been speaking to me loudly that, you know, I'm working with, you know, the orientation of the two houses that we find in Proverbs. Um, really, in the run-up is in Proverbs 7, when we talk about, you know, the, the, the adulterous woman. And that's, that's you know, yes, that's, a, you know, a literal warning against, uh, you know, against adultery and, and uh, a push towards, you know, faithfulness to the one you've covenanted with. But there's also a larger picture at play here that, you know, Proverbs 7 starts to deal with our idols and the things that we prefer, those idols that were hatched in the garden. And uh, that we still prefer, it's our kind of our default position, our orientation until we find life in Christ and we want the things of, that he wants for us. But the two houses that we find in chapters eight and nine that follows chapter seven in Proverbs, and there's a fundamental principle that God's wisdom leads to life and the folly uh, of the serpent from the garden, the house of folly is a house of death. And uh, I think that God wants to for us to be able to recognize the kind of fruit, the kind of places we're building, the kind of relationships we're building. Are they leading ultimately to destruction of body and soul, or are they leading to the building up and the reorienting and to, to the life for which we were created? And those two women's houses, the house of folly and the house of wisdom, they're such a helpful picture for the kinds of lives that we end up living when what we believe about God matches how we obey God. What God is, what he has, uh, what he has revealed of himself about how he is working, what his plans are for humanity, what his, what his, his plans are for his people, uh, how that matches how we obey God and how we treat each other. And, and what are the results of the orientation of both houses? Um, one tells the truth in wisdom's call. When the house and then the five wisdom runs to the streets and she stands on the high places, she says, come in all who are simple. That's all of us, Carmen. We're all simple. We are because, because we live in this broken world and we need the redemption of Christ to understand. So she holds out an invitation. And then folly also holds out an invitation, but it's almost the truth, which makes it a lie, just like in the garden. And we see these same dynamics when we pick up the news, when we have our, you know, when we have relationships around us, we see the houses and the orientations, people and us are either building towards one house and living in the principles of one house or living in the other. So I think that God is giving us a framework 
not just to understand how to live in the world that he's that, that we're currently in, but also how to understand where other people are and which house they're serving and which whether they're serving idols. Um, we weren't created for this world of death and abuse and mutilation and confusion and lies and darkness. I don't I don't think that any of those things are actually natural <laughs> to how he created us. And uh, when you look at Genesis one and two. You look at Proverbs 8 and the house of wisdom, and then you look at Revelation and where we're going, and you see the world, the kind of place for which we were created. It really is one of peace and wholeness and the presence of God. And so I think God is giving us a way to see ourselves better in this world as we're navigating these very, very difficult uh, times and circumstances helping us see um, the house that wisdom builds um, and helping us see the house that uh, the house of folly is a huge part of this um, in inviting us to make one of those our home um, is a part of this conversation as well. Just, just, just love the way you walk us into that. Again, the book is wisdom calls a hundred meditations on a life in Christ. Um, they're not, they're not ordered this way, but I want to, give uh give listeners a sense of folly um and some of the ways you unpack it folly's screech of violence um folly mm. loves fear folly mm. is satan's handmaiden um mm. uh there there is foolishness that is dealt with there's folly's betrayal um there there is a tour here a little bit of a tour of um, mm -hmm. of the house that folly builds, or maybe better said, the house that folly just can't help herself but constantly tear down. Um, mm. the, uh, right, the the house that wisdom builds is a house that we can not only live in, but um, it's it's welcoming. Others want to uh, camp out there. It's life giving. It's creative. It's productive. It's safe. Um, mm. And so. I, uh, I, lo I love all of that. I just the no. 15th, um, the 15th meditation for those of you who have the book and maybe just want to turn there. Wisdom's House, which is the 15th meditation in the book is um, maybe one of my maybe just one of my favorites. But wisdom has a library. Um, wisdom, uh, wisdom has uh, uh, a, a watch night. Um, so there are all of these meditations that specifically um, how wisdom speaks truth on and on and on. Again, it's not organized that way, but you can jump around. Um, if you need wisdom to breathe or you need it to help you preserve faith, like it's all in here. Um, mm. If you need the blessing of wisdom or the hope of wisdom, if you want to walk in wisdom, like it's just, it just, I love it. I just, I love the way you, um, you have woven it all together. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Karen Ellis. We do have copies of Wisdom Calls to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together. And have you ever read the book of Matthew? You know, at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of Jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought, who are these people? What, what are their stories? You know, why are they listed here? In our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar, who was she? You know, what, what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba 
and Mary, Jesus's mother. All the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com, and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The world runs on wisdom. That is one of the um, meditations offered in Wisdom Calls, 100 Meditations on a Life in Christ. Karen Ellis is the author. You can connect with her directly at her website, KarenAngelaEllis.com. Um, and yes, we are giving copies of the book away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, from Proverbs 3, the Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. Karen, when you talk about the physics of um, of the world and the way that it works, this is what you're talking about. Hmm. It is. And, you know, I, I, this, it was a challenging book for me to write, Carmen, because, you know, even in, even when you're in Christ, you're still making, you know, these really hard life decisions. And sometimes you choose wrong. Sometimes your idols, you know, get the best of you and you make a bad choice. And so uh, nobody gets out of here without regrets, right? Everybody has regrets, but you know, the, the constant call of wisdom, to return to her house, to return to the knowledge and the understanding that only Christ can quicken in us by his Holy Spirit, you know, is what separates us, I think, from, uh, you know, the unrepentant, obviously, uh, from those who are willfully disobedient. And so the framework that we're working with between wisdom and wisdom's house and folly's house, it's not just for us to understand the culture and around us and understand, you know, what we're doing at any particular time, but it's, it's for us to continually reorient. You know, I, I, one of the meditations I have uh, that I've written about in the book is um, how you can cut a piece of fruit off the vine and it can look really good. Like it can start in Argentina. Let's say it's a kiwi or something, something not indigenous to our neighborhood. And it rides on the plane all the way over. And, it, you know, it, they keep it refrigerated. And then, you know, it's in our grocery stores for a minute before you actually get to it. And but ever since it's been separated from the vine, it's been dying. It just looks really good on the outside. And so we're like that. I know I am a lot like that. I can look really, really good and not realize that I am decaying like what we find in Folly's house. Um, the decay doesn't always look terrible at first. But, you know, it's that reconnection to the vine that wisdom calls. Wisdom is is holding out that constant invitation. Come here and live. Stay attached to the vine. Reconnect to him if you found yourself sliding into, uh, into the house of folly. Wisdom himself is always waiting and always open and always desiring that we reconnect to him, to the vine, to the house, and so that we can have life-generating days for ourselves and for others, so that we can make more fruit. And so I think that's one of the, going on that journey for me was really difficult because I have spent time in the house of folly. I've made death and destruction myself. 
Um, and, um, and I've, I've borne the consequences of it in my life, just like everybody has, but I've learned <laughs> through my own folly and through the consequences and the teacher that consequences can be, um, I've learned that it's, it's much better to dwell in the house of wisdom and to do everything I can to make sure that my choices are oriented through his lens and not one of my own understanding. That's so good. Um, when you think about the relationship, I guess I'm thinking here, um, Proverbs 4, about, you know, getting wisdom and getting understanding, whatever else you get, get understanding, you know, <laughs> get, you know, right. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom um, and and get understanding. What's the relationship between wisdom and understanding? Are they same, similar, related, but different? Like what What's going on there? Yeah, well, we go back to where you started with the scripture in this segment. Uh, you know, by his knowledge, by his wisdom, he laid the foundation by his knowledge. So it's it really points to Christ as the source for everything that we need to live in this life. Now, is the Bible going to tell you, you know, we, you know, the, the, the story is, is the Bible going to tell you specifics like names and dates and geography and go here and go there? Probably not but it's going to tell you what the principles are. And that is, is his primary way of speaking to us and, and giving us those heart checks of knowing whether or not we are, um, we're applying his knowledge and his wisdom. They are connected. Um, they're different, um, but they're connected. His knowledge to me is the application of the wisdom and the principles that, uh, that he's by which he's founded the earth. You know, they, um, the, 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 we teach that you're, you know, you're how you obey God and how you, what you believe, what you know about God, what he's revealed about himself, they really should match, <laughs> but so often they don't. And we've seen, we've seen whole church communities and whole traditions throughout history, you know, leave a really toxic kingdom ball for the next generation because their ethics, what they believe, what they, how they obey God and their epistemology, you know, there's your 25 cent seminary word, their epistemology and their ethics did not match. And so the extent to which we go through this life in the time that we've been given, where what we know about God and how we obey him match, it's not going to be perfect. Only Jesus walked this earth perfectly because he is the way, the truth and the life. But the closer we get, to them matching throughout the course of our lives. The, I think the better uh, and less toxic kingdom ball we leave for the next generation. And that's how God keeps the, this kingdom line going from Genesis to Revelation. He is going to keep his promise. He created a people for himself and he's going to keep a people for himself. He's going to harmonize them around the throne. All the disharmony you see today, he is going to harmonize people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and do it around his throne, around his person, return to his presence, return to not just the very good of the garden, but now to the perfection of a life lived in front of his face. I can't wait for that day. And I trust that he is keeping a kingdom line of folks who are walking closer to their ethics and their, their epistemology, how they obey God, what they know about God. Um, he's keeping that kingdom line throughout history. We're going to see them all. We're going to shout together. And all of this madness that we see around ourselves that we're trying to cut through just the fog of war and the fog of life and the fog of destruction, 
we're going to understand it better by and by, Carmen. And we'll understand. We'll see him balance the books of justice and mercy based on his character, not on our understanding. And we'll be satisfied with what he decides. I love that. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Karen, um, thank you so much for joining us today. What um, what an utter delight. That's Karen Ellis. You can connect with her directly at KarenAngelaEllis.com. The book is Wisdom Calls, 100 Meditations on a Life in Christ. We do have copies to give away. Go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Your reading assignment for the weekend. Reading and Reflection, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 16. Um, I, I wish we had the time for me to just read it all to you, but it is about Christ and the power and wisdom of God. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 16, um, read that over the weekend and reflect on the wisdom and the power of God that you and I might have what is promised there, the mind of Christ. Let us be cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of this day. Go out there and be uh, be shiny on behalf of Jesus, um, blessing others in his name and finding yourself blessed as well. We'll see you right back here on Monday morning. Have a great have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.